to do? Making a reveal. Making a reveal. Hello and welcome to the 75th episode of Rank and Review. I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. And this week, returning guest Ashley Pachkowski is going to discuss with me six of the craziest movies that I could find from the 1980s. And uh, just for the record, they're pretty crazy. Uh, So I hope you're into a little bit of 80s nostalgia because we're going to be spending a few episodes in that wonderful decade. There will be spoilers, there will be coarse language, and there will be crazy. As usual, you can contact Rankin Review at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. My name's Larry Parsons, I'm your host and Random Canadian, and I just wanted to thank you so much for listening, and invite you to seek out the podcast on iTunes and on Facebook, and to just tell that other movie lover in your life that there's this podcast called Rank and Review, and that it's waiting for them. Now let's get a little crazy, shall we? The 75th episode of Rankin Review. And I have the lovely Ashley Pachkowski back in my garage. I managed to say her name correctly. You did, oh my god. (laughs) And um, actually you're you're heading off what is going to be really a three-part episode, Odyssey into the 80s. Today you and I are going to discuss the crazy 80s, Mm -hmm. six of some of the more bizarre movies I can think of from that interesting decade <laughs> and then the next two episodes I'm doing with my buddy Lee we're going to count down our top 25 genre movies from mm-hmm. the 80s and we're going to review six of our yeah. personal favorites cool so I hope my listeners are okay with going down with some <laughs> 80s because that's that's the path we're going on the interesting thing for me is, is that uh, you missed the 80s largely right? more or less <laughs> you weren't around so the 80s were slightly less cool for that but I think that it's uh, it's going to be interesting for me because I grew up. I was born in the late seventies, mm-hmm. so the eighties were my childhood. Yeah, and I would sit down and watch a movie like Flash Gordon or whatever, <laughs> and just think like, this is what entertainment yeah. was. This is how it was done, <laughs> right? And um, they are insane in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I did a review recently of a film called. Uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yes. Which I uh, described as being perhaps made by, on, and for cocaine. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think a case could be made for a lot of the movies that we're going to discuss today. Would explain an awful lot. But I'm just going to ask, I mean, not going through the filter of nostalgia, not Mm -hmm. having that aw shucks reaction, I watched this when I was six. Yeah. What do you make of these bizarre movies? This is a really mixed bag. Um, <laughs> like, I do have some fondness for 80s movies because, you know, I was born in the mid-80s, so I start watching movies in the 90s, which means, like, a lot of VHSs of stuff yeah. from from the 80s. So the 80s filter isn't totally 
foreign to me. Um, but there is some batshit crazy in this stack. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Sometimes the the pace the way pacing has changed in the last thirty years is just yeah crazy. They really uh, put the foot on the gas as far as the storytelling. Uh, one other thing I noticed is just how much society has changed. It's not just you know that there's no internet and no cell phones. Mm-hmm. Even now, the way women are treated, <laughs> the way women are treated yeah. in movies of the 80s, movies that I grew up in and didn't, you know, think deeply about, right, at all. I guess I'm, it's good that I didn't think deeply about it. <laughs> there's some really questionable shit in almost all of these movies. Yes. There's a scene that makes me go, whoa, that would not be okay yep. today yep. at all. <laughs> and, uh... It's weird, like, do we wag our finger at the movie for that? Or do we think, oh, how quaint, how of its day. Some some awkward land in the middle, where it's not quite far enough to be, like, quaint and of its day. And, you know, calm down, sweetheart, kind of. When Eddie Murphy says, you know, this is kind of boy stuff to the girl, and it's not played as a joke in in The Golden Child, it really does just ring discordant. It just is like, no, 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 no. This makes you less likable, charming Eddie Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) The six movies that we are going to talk about from the crazy decade of the 80s. We have the famous and infamous George Lucas production of Howard the Duck. We have a guilty pleasure nostalgia choice for Larry <laughs> called Transylvania 65000. We have the Wes Craven directed from 1982 Swamp Thing, which is an adaptation of a comic book, which I had a uh, brief fascination with. We have the aforementioned Golden Child starring Hedy Murphy, probably the most crazy script-wise of all of these yeah, movies. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Flash Gordon is coming to save us. <laughs> save uh. all of us. <laughs> and we're going to finish it off with my uh, nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare-inducing <laughs> film experience of 1985. Return to Oz. <laughs> um, there's not really a through line. Like I said, half of them are superhero-ish or comic book, book movies. Mm-hmm. But I guess we kind of got fantasy going on here. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some fantasy element to yeah. everything. I love 80s era special effects. Yes. I, I, I love uh, certain aspects to the 80s humor. They don't necessarily go, eh, eh, but there's something really on the nose about mm-hmm. the way they hit humor in these films. <laughs> again, not quite Three Stooges loud, but like louder than, again, we're comfortable with today. Yeah. I think we're, we like our, our humor a little more subtle. In the 80s, it was completely fine for the main character to talk to himself and make jokes to himself just to entertain the audience. And now we would look upon this person as like, oh, so open, honest, schizophrenic. (laughs) (laughs) Deadpool, what are you doing in all of these other movies? Yeah, that's right. Not so cutting edge, are we, Mr. Deadpool? Is there anything else you want to say before we jump into this? Let's jump into this. Let's jump into this. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands 
in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. <laughs> to redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. Oh, I pull it off! Until he discovers just who he really is. Oh, no. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. So, uh, Howard the Duck. Howard <laughs> the Duck. In the 1980s, superhero movies obviously hadn't conquered Hollywood, mm -hmm. right? We live in an age now where there will be a superhero movie on the horizon for the foreseeable future. Bi-weekly until 2025. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's always going to be another superhero on the way for a long time. And I don't believe it's like one of those things like where Westerns have a brief resurgence for a few years or there's a, a craze in slasher cinemas. Mm -hmm. I think that superheroes are going to be here for quite a while. We agree. Um, whether that's good or bad, we can have that discussion. But in the 80s, superhero movies weren't that common. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly why they didn't think they would make good bank or the licensing mm -hmm. issues or, or what, for whatever licensing reason. Licensing or the effects seemed more difficult at the time. But because it was so uncommon to see a superhero movie, it made it extra strange that they chose Howard the Duck. <laughs> this is a George Lucas production, and, you know, by the late 80s, he could write his own ticket. If he wanted mm -hmm. to make a movie, he could get it made. Um, I guess he must have had a personal interest in the property, because he did get this movie made. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, Willard Hewick? H-U-Y-C-K, I don't know how you would say that, is the man who directed this movie. Mm -hmm. And the production values are very strong, and it is very odd. It's a very deeply strange movie. Like, I... I, I it, it always rubs me as like, who is this for? Mm -hmm. Who is this movie for? It's really, really stupid. Almost too stupid for like adults to really latch on to. Yeah. But it's way too scary and way too adult, adult. for kids. Yep. So where does that leave us? What, what, like, what is this thing? There's a, in the special features, I always end up reviewing special features when I talk about these movies. Yeah. Uh, George Lucas was talking, obviously the results had come in and the box office was lukewarm and the critical response was devastatingly mm -hmm. unkind. Uh, he kind of just shrugged it off in his sort of pretentious George Lucas <laughs> way. So, yeah, they always hate it when it comes out, but later on they'll figure it out. They'll understand it, you know. It, they'll, they'll, Today they hate me, 10 years from now, yeah. it's a brilliant film. Yeah. Well, it's 30 years from then. Is Howard the Duck a brilliant film? Howard the Duck is many things, and a brilliant film <laughs> is not one of them. <laughs> um, there are ridiculous script-level problems with this project. Like... <laughs> Not again, not knowing who it's for. Like it's written like a children's cartoon, but it has you know R-rated content in places. The production value is amazing. The special effects are like super top strong. notch. Like some of them are kind of eighties flavored, but they still hold up. For the day it was made, it was about as high end special effects as you would expect to see going to the cinema. Yeah. Like. Howard looks good for the time. He's got an animatronic mask. There was a little person playing the part. Mm -hmm. And then he was voiced by someone else. So there's three people, you know, there's yeah, a bunch three. of people coming together to make Howard real. 
It's weird, and it's it comes right from the comic book that there's a a, a parallel world that is populated by ducks yeah. instead of monkeys evolving into society and civilization and and, and whatever ducks, ducks did. And basically, their world is incredibly similar to ours, except for they love duck puns. Yeah, everything's got to be duck something or other, you know. It's a strange thing to base your society around, but They okay. are somehow more self-obsessed than we are <laughs> as a society. One day, uh, Howard's just sitting in his apartment mm-hmm. reading Play Duck. <laughs> because that's cool, right? That makes us like him. He's relatable. No. We know uh, that he's sad and lonely. <laughs> he gets sucked through the wall of his apartment and flown through space and dumped into an alley. And uh, all of a sudden he's surrounded by all these crazy creatures and he has to figure out why is he here and how can he get home. And the large part of the story, because the actual conflict doesn't kick in until about the halfway point, is his relationship, his deeply bizarre relationship with Leah Thompson, who is the front of a painfully (laughs) 80s rock band. I find the movie entertaining just because of how crazy it is. Just, like, scene to scene. You yeah. really don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> but, like, I I find it entertaining, but I would stop short of good. Yes. <laughs> On the other hand of the scale, there's a lot of people who just hate this movie. Like, froth at the mouth mm-hmm. is one of the worst things that ever happened. And what I will say about Howard the Duck is that they took some risks with this movie. Like, I don't know that I would make those decisions. I don't know why those decisions were made. But, I mean, they were ballsy. Mm-hmm. Leah Thompson straight up falls in love with and attempts to seduce a duck. And we are just to take it on trust. Just, just accept this. And I, I don't understand their relationship. <laughs> From either side, I don't oh, understand. Like... like <laughs> It's creepy. It's, it's creepy. so wrong. It's bestiality. I'm exactly. not going to sugarcoat it. She's fucking a duck. That's bestiality. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to be blue, but there it is. No, it, it, absolutely. It's the most, it is the most uncomfortable <laughs> romantic pairing I've seen on screen. And I include the prequels in that. Yeah. Uh, well, interesting enough, Leah Thompson, I don't know if you, how familiar you are with her, she was, of course, in the Back to the Future uh, trilogy. Oh. She was Marty's mom. Okay. So in a, a, a film just she made shortly before this, she was a mom who was really, really trying <laughs> to seduce her son from the future. <laughs> so I don't know if that's more or less weird than her having the hots for a duck. Less. Less weird. I'm going to go on the side of less. Because at least it's still like your species. Because at least it's, it's, it's your species and she didn't know. <laughs> Uh, the other two things that I wanted to talk about, because uh, that's interesting, mm-hmm. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins has got a supporting role in yeah. this movie as a super nerdy, we're not sure if he's helpful, friend or foe really, in a, for the large part of the movie. Agent of chaos. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting, because this is right before he had a run of just insane good movies. In the early 90s, basically the first half of the 90s, everything Tim Robbins touched was gold. And the second half, everything Kevin Spacey touched was gold. They kind of owned that decade. Yeah. And this is right on the cusp of that. He had some supporting roles here and there in like Top Gun and so on. But this is a high profile, look at me, I'm Tim Robbins. Mm -hmm. And he's trying real hard. I mean, 
on some level, you see a little bit of panic behind his eyes yeah. because I think he knows that the script is not good. He does. <laughs> and he's working really hard to work with what he's got. And, like, he comes off well. Yeah. Tim Robbins comes off well. And, it's like, he's, like, the the entertaining character whose motives I more or less understand and yeah. can get behind. <laughs> um, the other person that I wanted to talk about, um, and I'm going to just blame Jeffrey Jones. Um, a lot of people know Jeffrey Jones as the evil principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, he plays Dr. Walter Jennings, mm. and uh, he starts off as a very friendly, very helpful, you know, well-meaning scientist. Yeah. And uh, then he gets an evil, I really got a big Cthulhu vibe out of these yeah, monsters, absolutely. these dark one creatures that have been waiting for eons to come back and overtake the world. But this, well, this sort of pleasant, nice doc, uh, scientist slowly becomes a dark overlord. And it's a very comic performance, but very strong as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's a real painful thing because, like, I love Jeffrey Jones. Apparently, he's got some pretty dark stuff in his personal life, and he's, like, not what you'd call, maybe in a lot of ways, a good person. <laughs> But damn it, he's so good in so many movies. We're gonna talk about him again, actually, in Transylvania yeah. Six Five Thousand. Yeah. I find him fucking hilarious. He's so good. I find him hilarious. It just kills me to find out that you know, he's not a super cool guy yeah. behind the scenes. It's just too bad. But he brings it in this movie. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's this is sort of the backlash of like you know, having to find out factoids about all these movies. I wish I didn't know all the yeah. shit I knew about Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> I wish I could just be like when I saw this as a kid, because as far as I'm concerned, he gives the performance he, of the movie. He's all fantastic the, and yeah. hilarious <laughs> as the Dark Overlord. All of the money went into Howard the Duck, but all of the love went into the Dark Overlord. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm playing over you. What, 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 uh, <laughs> what well, are your I impressions? Mean, I mean, keep, keeping running on the Dark Overlord, like the... Uh, stop-motion monster mm. that arises at the end is the most gorgeous thing that I've seen in, like, years. And, yeah. like, including, like, modern stuff. It's like... It's, it's, I, I love I love practical effects. I love me some practical effects. Right. And this movie is, like, chock-full of really well-done, like, solid, tangible, practical effects. And this I is one of the buy last... buy the duck. I yeah. buy the monster. I... And it's not even like the Mondoc Dark Overlord was there on set. I always complain about CGI. The actors were looking at nothing. Yeah. The actors were looking at nothing. When he turns into the full monster, he is an animated creature. But at this time in the 80s, we were at the dying days of the physical mediums. Yeah. Computers were about to take over. And these prosthetic effects are about as good as they were going to get mm -hmm. before there was just this wind change throughout Hollywood. And it is sad. Those effects are completely solid today. <laughs> yeah. 2016, I think it looks good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Watch sections of Howard the Duck, and it's it's better looking than most of the stuff that's coming out this year. Mm -hmm. It just it just is. It and feels it, realer. It feels realer. That's not a great English major word. It feels more ta tangible. Yeah, it feels it, like it's it's more it's more authentic. Uh, there's a I think a love that went into making effects in that way that translated through film that doesn't necessarily with the the CG movement. I mean, there's good CG and bad CG. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you, if you spend the money and the time, it can look really, really good. Yeah. Every now and then. But uh, you're, I'm right there with you. 
I miss the old days of prosthetic effects, you know, especially if you're going to build your movie around this character. Mm -hmm. And nowadays when they have like these, uh, you know, motion capture suits, we're getting closer to it. So the actors can at least interact with the other ones. But I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for someone like Bob Hoskins who did uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Mm -hmm. where his co-star was not on set with him for the entire movie. Leah Thompson had a real duck to make out with. Yep. And I think that, that that's part of what makes it super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm think, uh, so in my head, I'm, I'm replacing Howard with like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of animated character. And I do think that would be less uncomfortable. Right. It's, it's this un, the uncanny valley in that relationship. It's just... I it's, can't get over it. We keep going back there, but like... <laughs> Yeah, he helps her out. She, he kind of gets rid of her shitty agent, but for the most part, he's kind of a grumpy customer to her. It's mm-hmm. like it's like she's uh, attracted in a way to the bad boy part of that. It's just it's just nothing. Not it's, I don't know. I'm not, it's not comfortable for me. It's, it's not. It's not okay. It's not um, okay. Somebody needs to. This is my sort of Jerry Springer's final thought. <laughs> It's not a great movie. It really isn't. No. But I think somebody needs to figure out like a drinking game or something that you could do with Howard the Duck because I kind of want people to watch mm-hmm. it for like you don't see performances like those. You don't see effects like those. Yeah. And you don't see big budget movies taking risks like this. It's unfortunate that it didn't pay off, but I don't, you know, regret my time spent no. with Howard the Duck. It 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 is not as bad as the infamy that surrounds it. Yeah. In fact, it's it's way more interesting than anything else. I wouldn't call it good, but it's certainly not boring. Mm-hmm. It didn't it didn't hurt me to watch. There wasn't like, oh, this is a chore. This is homework. No. Why did I inflict this on myself, <laughs> let alone poor Ashley? No, it was okay. Yeah. 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 It began as a routine assignment. Transylvania. Where is that? I don't know. It's over there someplace. But beneath the surface... Transylvania's... Of this happy land, Ah. horror awaits them. I'm investigating Frankenstein. You mean the monster? And a terrible secret lurks in the shadows. I'm terribly sorry. We thought you were an animal. He is. Now they're discovering the truth. Did you see Dracula? Yeah, yeah, when it first came out. About the creatures of the night. Shut up, you lowlife. I am low. The curse of the undead. Did you want to hurt me? Hurt you? No. Bite you? The terror of the full moon. We are going to death. And the monster that science created. Full house. But could not destroy. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Good. Everything hurts. Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Ed Begley Jr. Hi, ladies. Joseph Bologna. Oh. And Gina Davis. Tell me you want me to. <laughs> For a good time called... Transylvania 6, 5,000. <laughs> it's good, huh? So let's travel back in time, Ashley. Hey, <laughs> <Yeah>. time travel. <laughs> it's it's the, the late 80s. Larry's like, I think, 9 or 10, let's okay. say. And he's visiting his dear, dear friends, Scott and Karen. And they have cable stations with access to movies. And they have all these horror movies on tapes. And they like to show Larry horror movies. Mm -hmm. And Larry likes horror movies. 
but they make Larry very scared. <laughs> they make him uncomfortable, <laughs> they give him tummy aches, they make him not able to sleep. So as much as he likes to watch horror movies, he, it's sort of like a double-edged sword. So a lot of the times I would like have these mainstay movies that I'd seen before, and I said, well, if we're going to watch a horror movie, let's watch these ones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were your Evil Dead 2s, or there was, like, there was some of the, the funnier, lighter mm -hmm. horror movies that, that you could even handle at a young age. A personal favorite of mine at the time, and again, I was 9 and 10, was Transylvania 6 5000, right? It had, like, all of the classic creatures, you know, mm -hmm. in it, and it was funny. Yeah. Um, it's It's... A not particularly well-remembered movie <laughs> of the 80s. It's probably one of the more obscure titles even out of the list that I've asked you to watch here. Mm -hmm. It concerns uh, Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr. as journalists hired to cover a story of some strange footage that came out of Transylvania. Uh, <laughs> it's a complete sort of soup of other people's stories, right? Mm -hmm. We have the Frankenstein's monster, we have the Wolfman, we have a, a, a water creature... Mm -hmm. And um, so they have to go in and uncover the story. This is the phase of Jeff Goldblum's career where he's doing a whole series of barely there performances in the 80s. Yeah. He seems sort of like not even half asleep, just bored, yeah. just indifferent to everything yeah. around him. He still somehow has like a, a, a residual Jeff Goldblum charm, but there's a whole series of them in the 80s where he, he really just seemed to like... His approach to the script would be to do as little as possible yeah. to, to, to the lines. I will deliver the lines on camera. That is that is what I am paid mm -hmm. to do. I say this as a fan of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> as a kid, I loved all of the payoffs in the movie. I loved that, you know, uh, spoilers, we'll just jump right into it. There's a mad scientist who's creating all of these monsters. And even though they seem objectively frightening, once you get to know them, they're all kind of yeah. cute and okay. Uh, it's one of the three big high-profile Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis that are together in a movie because they're together in real life. Oh. Uh, the other being the remake of The Fly, which mm -hmm. we'll be talking about during the uh, 80s countdown in the next episodes. Okay. And another one being possibly more batshit crazy movie called Earth Girls Are Easy. I have heard the title and not seen I don't know. If you enjoyed this list of six movies and you're saying more crazy 80s... <laughs> I will send you in that direction. That shit is crazy. But it's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Anyway, Chance of 5000. I loved it since I was a kid. And it was one of those things that I didn't see it for years and years and years and years again. And then mm -hmm. I watched it when I was like 25 or something and was yeah. like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. I love this so much. And then I watched it again for the podcast and I was 10 years old again. Yeah. <laughs> so much like Howard the Duck, I. I have a hard time saying that Transylvania 6 5000 is a good movie, but I will say that it made me laugh, I am charmed by it, mm -hmm. and I have enough nostalgic, personal 80s nostalgia for the cast okay. and for the content that I'm a big fan. Awesome. <laughs> but again, that doesn't necessarily mean it's great. Where do you land? Um, it's, I mean, it is, it is by no means a great movie. What it is is extremely entertaining. Um, it has it has a farce patter to to it, especially the opening where they're um, Jeff Goldblum and Ed Bigley Jr. are being like sent on assignment by by Ed Bigley Jr.'s like 
dad who runs the cheap nothing paper that they work for right. and um just the the speed and the casualness with which all of that dialogue is delivered brought me right into the world yeah. um it and and it and it just keeps it just keeps up that pace of like the crazy and crazy and crazy and it's very theatrical um and for that you know i'm i'm a theater kid and i loved it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't really pretend to be existing in the real world no. in any kind of way, but nor is it winking at you. That's, I think, the, the difference, right? <laughs> if they'd been constantly going, huh? Uh-huh. Look at how, look at how yeah, arch this no, is. If, if it had gone, look at me, look how funny I am, nope. then it would have fallen like flat on its face. Work. But it's not. It just, it just keeps on moving. It just keeps on going. It's also full of great faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's two scenes when I was a kid, I gotta say, going back to hanging out with my friends Scott and Karen, that we just... This is gonna turn into a Simpsons review where I just start quoting bits from the movie. <laughs> but the whole thing with Michael Richards and smell this, huh? You smell this. It's fresh. You like it. You, you smell, and now you smell this. It's lifting up shit and putting in people's face, asking them to smell it. I, it doesn't make any no. fucking sense at all. It's completely insane. They don't ask you to like understand it. They don't try to explain yep. it. He's like, here's crazy Michael Richards, and now he's going to leave the scene, and everybody's <laughs> going to look at each other awkwardly, and then the scene will continue. Yeah. And I fucking love it. And the very initial scene where they first meet the mayor, once again played by Jeffrey Jones, mm-hmm. and they ask him about the Frankenstein monster, <laughs> and everybody in the government office... Just, just starts laughing hysterically so laughing. at them. And they're just pointing and laughing, rolling on the floor, kicking the ground, laughing so hard that they think that there's Frankenstein in Transylvania. <laughs> right? I, describing it, it doesn't sound funny, but uh, trust but it me, is. if you watch the movie, it so it's is. Funny. <laughs> I have such a crush on Carol Kane. I've always had a crush on Carol Kane. Understandable. And uh, she plays this, oh, I don't know all the characters' names here. Loopy is her name. <laughs> She's like this maid that works at the mansion yeah. where a lot of the action takes place. And she's so in love with the Igor figure yeah. of the movie that she's just following around like a puppy. And just There's something so endearing about Carol Kane. I just love her. I remember I'd been thinking about her randomly, like, whatever, I haven't seen her in a while. And she popped up in this Kimmy Schmidt TV show. Oh, okay. Uh, the, in, what is it, Indestructible Kimmy uh, Schmidt? Unbreakable. Unbreakable, thank yeah. you. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So she's still out there, she's still funny, she's still awesome, and I'm still attracted Yay. to her. But I think this movie is a big part of why. This movie and Scrooge, there's, there's this Bill Murray mm-hmm. Christmas movie where she plays a ghost who just beats the living piss out of Bill Murray. Always been a big fan of her, remain a big fan of her in this movie. Everybody sort of comes in and has fun little bits to play. Um, if there's a weak link, and it hurts me to say it, it might be Gina Davis. <laughs> She just isn't given a whole lot to do, but my god, she's hot. She is super hot. (laughs) And that outfit that she's wearing is, like, embarrassingly sexualizing her. But she's playing, like, this temptress vampire, but she also has no confidence. She thinks she's really ugly and plain, right? She's so cute. Well, that's the thing. She's cute, but she's not funny. Everybody else around her is kind of being funny, and she's just being... She's fine. She's not a bad performance. yeah. The pretty girl never gets to be funny. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? Sorry, I just went. I just went off. Um, totally like, nerded out over. Yeah. What was the other thing? Oh, um, the the poor woman who Jeff Goldblum is trying to seduce the whole time, <laughs> and I I felt so bad for her because she's pulling all of the tricks that you try to get a guy to stop hitting on you, but he keeps like asking and asks like pursuing her yeah. throughout and when she like finally gave in at the end I was like aw I was yeah. I was rooting for you to like spine up and get out of that but okay <laughs> well I talked about it a little bit in the introduction just generally how the gender roles have changed yeah. so much and these were like no didn't always seem to mean no in 80s movies no meant okay I'll back off for a moment but mm-hmm. we'll continue this later right <laughs> And he's not, like, aggressively handsy or anything like no. that, but she's clearly not into him, and he clearly is not doesn't, doesn't, receiving do, Either doesn't notice or doesn't care. Yeah. Like, what do you mean you're not into me? I'm Jeff Goldblum. Are yeah. you crazy? <laughs> uh, there's something about that actress's performance, too. She's got this really high-pitched voice. Mm-hmm. It's not even entirely <laughs> her fault. I can't see her name. Yeah, yeah. That, Teresa that, Genzel. That's at some point the director should have told her to do something yeah, different. Yeah, there's, there's a shrillness to it. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be the sort of the sweet, naive, almost innocent character, uh, initially anyway. And uh, <laughs> what I respect about the movie is that all it really wants to do is put a smile on your face. That's all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any lofty goals. Yeah. It's not teaching you. It's not about anything. It's not about Gina Davis becoming more confident. It's not about the mad scientist learning that he can, you know, be helpful to people. It's not about these journalists breaking the big story and making famous. It's about a series of set piece gags and yeah. keeping things moving at a good pace. And I think for the most part, it does that well enough. <laughs> like, in a way, I'm sort of surprised it's not one of the 80s movies that has been, hasn't been remade or something, because mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of comic potential in this, you know? You get all of your sort of classic monster moves in the movie, you got sort of slapstick, fun, bouncy vibe. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's we, we might just not be at a time that's like fun and bouncy enough in its humor for... Yeah, I guess we're in the age of Game of of Thrones. Everything's got to be fucking super dark. Everything's super dark. (laughs) I appreciate, like I said, just the the earnest wish to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. All we want to do is make you smile. That's all. And they do. Government agents. Scientists. Soldiers. Master criminals. Secret formulas. Monsters and midgets. None of them belong in this swamp. Only one thing does. The Swamp Bear. Uh-huh. You're in kind of trouble. The Swamp Thing. There goes the neighborhood. So we're going to go back to some comic book movie here. Mm. Um, not too long ago, I sort of spent an entire episode paying tribute to Wes Craven. Uh, he's a, you know, a good genre director. Even then, when I was paying him tribute, I said, there's some ups and downs with him. Mm-hmm. There's high watermarks, there's low <laughs> watermarks. 
Um, but I think if I could talk to Wes Craven, which I unfortunately can't anymore, he would say, you know, as much as he's happy for his career, he would have liked to reach out beyond the horror genre and, you know, have some successes to the left and right. Mm -hmm. One of his early attempts at this is what we're about to talk about, Swamp Thing. It's an interesting comic book property in the Traditionally, the comic had been like typical superhero fare. Some mad scientist gets turned in from his own experiments, and you know, evil, evil people mm -hmm. gets turned into this weird monster, monstrous creature, and uh, gets draws its energies from the earth. It gets even more interesting if you read the comic book later on when it's adapted by Neil Gaiman, where mm -hmm. where uh, Swamp Thing starts becoming uh, realizing that it's this entity pretending to be the doctor it's not actually the doctor anymore oh. but because it was built out of this doctor it keeps on going back the mask that it wears is not the swamp thing the doctor is the mask it wears. there's all sorts of interesting things about it it's it's a cool book mm -hmm. in a lot of ways now it hadn't got to that level of depth in the 1980s yeah. but it was still a cool green monster you know arguably, you know, Gaia sort of creature. And uh, it had a spooky element to it. So you get your action, you got your superhero, you got your mad scientist. It's not quite horror, but a horror director could definitely, you know, work in the schoolhouse. Yeah. So I'd love to be sitting here telling you that this is the this big, lost, underrated comic book movie of the 80s. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um... <laughs> I say that with no pleasure. I say that with no pleasure, yeah. but again, if Wes Craven was here, I uh, <laughs> to awkwardly say it's just like, I think that you're more comfortable with the scares, and I think that this movie would be better if there were more scares in it. Uh, so that's where I start with Swamp Thing, okay. but uh, I'd be happy to hear it. Um, so I was about halfway through watching Swamp Thing when I realized that I had seen it before. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, which which t tells me that it's not a terribly <laughs> memorable movie in no. either direction. Um, it, you can... You can tell that everyone, like, on set knows what they're doing. Like, the cinematography is gorgeous. The swamps just look beautiful. Um, the, the effects are, again, like, well done. Not, like, as high a level of probably budget as no. Howard the Duck. But, you know, the This the was same, not the day where they'd pour money on a superhero, right? The, the same, like, technical chops are, are going in behind them. Um, the actors are okay the acting is okay the script is perfunctory a little bit up and up up and down perfunctory yes um i didn't fully like the, sometimes the actors are phoning it in i don't really buy the um relationship between the romance uh, the, does not work at all the romance does not work at all especially as they have like the doctor hitting on this new agent lady while you still think that his sister might be his wife because they share a last name and don't look anything yeah. alike. Um, yeah. yeah. Adrian Barbeau plays the sort of main character of the movie. We sort of enter the swamps with her. It's her first day, you know, meeting the doctor, seeing mm -hmm. the lab, seeing all this interesting science that's being studied there. She's an interesting figure to me. She's in a lot of 80s movies, and she was sort of a sex symbol of the 80s. But mm -hmm. to me, she always looks like like some old aunt like mm. I, I can I can smell the cigarette smoke <laughs> on her clothes yeah. th through the film 
you know, she, she always looked to me like older than she was or that she was dressing older than she was. And I don't know if that weird bouffant 80s hairdo doesn't help her any. I think she's a decent actress and I've seen her be in good movies, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't quite get Adrian Barbeau as sort of the, you know, sexy leading lady. I think she's more of a character actor. I like her more in movies like Creepshow where she plays like an obnoxious drunk or, or <laughs> you know, uh, Escape from New York in yeah. just sort of a more action context. And that's where she really works. When she gets a hold of the machine guns and kills one of those paramilitary dudes and just for a split second she's super badass, mm -hmm. you're like, the movie just turned on for a second, yeah. right? And then yeah. Because right. oh. I like I I got a real like discount Sigourney Weaver vibe off of her. And this like, is well before <laughs> aliens, right? So I have points for that. Yeah. She's a strong character, but still in the end she needs to get rid of Still in the end. She's and she's not good at her job. No. Like that was that was what really bothered me was was that she's an agent for some sort of I presume government mm -hmm. group and she knows they've been compromised. She calls for help, but the, she doesn't there there isn't like a a backup for I know my superior's been eliminated like maybe their superior's been eliminated there isn't like not a lot of depth to like what she does actively to yeah. help herself out of the situation when she's in it, it she's just sort of basically oh no oh no <laughs> she's being chased and she runs into the swamp and like, you can't run away yeah. when you're knee deep in mud what are you doing uh just to do lip service to the plot um, yeah. this scientist who's played by ray wise who a lot of people will know from twin peaks uh he was uh, Laura Palmer's daddy in Twin okay. Peaks. My generation may recognize him from the OC, where the he OC. was the dad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not an OC fan over here. But nor I think nor was I, but it was super popular. There it was. Um, interestingly, when he turns into the Swamp Thing, he's played by a different actor. Um, the Swamp Thing, uh, with, and that, the Swamp Thing outfit looks a lot like a suit, but anyway, mm -hmm. the plot. Uh, a paramilitary group. We're not exactly sure of their origins. There's some evil guy has a bunch of soldiers at his command, and he's desperate to find the secret to immortality, which they may be unlocking through all this botanical science that's very vague. Sure. Necessarily mm -hmm. vague in the movie. Uh, yeah, they come to stir shit up. Bad things happen. The doctor is turned into the swamp thing, and uh, a lot of his sister is killed, and uh, basically in the aftermath of that attack on the on the facility uh we are introduced to this new swamp thing and heroics ensue <laughs> the a b and c of the plot is familiar you know to the point of any issue of any comic book that's when i say perfunctory screenwriting it's like yeah if you look at that script then you'd say well production is going to have to handle this we're going to have to make the swamp thing look amazing and the Swamp Thing doesn't look amazing. He doesn't look scary. He doesn't look particularly intimidating. To me, part of the idea of the Swamp Thing is like this mold sort of like terrible oozy mm. stuff is what mm. he's made out of. And for me, he should be like almost a living, moving kind of thing. Oh, I don't know. Cool. I don't know how you would have accomplished that in 1982. Stop motion. But uh, that, well, I'll take it, right? 
and that, that he's immensely powerful. When he's first made into the Swamp Thing, he doesn't realize what his power is. He thinks he's just this creature, mm-hmm. but he can draw from the power of the Earth. He's this, this endless battery of powers, and he's basically in, indestructible mm-hmm. in some forms. Even if he gets blown up, he slowly just regroups into the Swamp Thing again. He's... Uh, none of this is explored in the movie yeah. at all, really. Yeah. You know, he's just a big green dude. Yeah, because what you're describing sounds like a really interesting movie that I would like to see. And you probably will sooner than later, is yeah. my guess. Um, there's talk of you know getting some of these more supernatural characters. Doctor yeah. Strange is coming very soon. Uh, they keep trying to do something with Constantine and I like that because I really think that that's an interesting character Mm -hmm. but both the TV show and the first swing of the movie was not successful but Guillermo del Toro wanted to do some small oh Oh my god I would watch the fuck out of that yeah exactly you know what if Neil Gaiman wanted to write something yeah maybe uh, maybe Neil Gaiman could write and Guillermo del Toro could direct and it would be like the most mind fucked thing ever and this is what's what's happening right now with the review is what's happening to me while I watch the Swamp Thing I keep on thinking like there's all sorts of really cool things that they could have done to make this movie more interesting than it is Mm -hmm. part of it is the time that it was made right nobody took superhero movie seriously no one expected a lot from this swamp thing yeah. movie they didn't invest a whole bunch in it you know um which is too bad because yeah. i think that it's a little bit of self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. there it's it's an i think it's an underrated title just on the level of interest that it that, i think it's a pretty interesting comic book mm-hmm. generally speaking um and yeah maybe they didn't know what they had and uh yeah Wes craven went right back to the horror genre yeah but I was surprised when I watched it, like, that there wasn't any of that. He's got a real obsession with, like, serpents and snakes and stuff like that. Almost all of his movies will have some icky scene with a mm-hmm. snake or whatever, even if it does incongruous with other things. <laughs> I kept waiting for that to happen in the Swamp Thing movie, because in a fucking swamp, why wouldn't you do that, right? Or, or to make this transition from the scientist into this creature, this sort of painful ordeal, which we don't really get to see. No, gets blown up and reappears as this awkward rubber suit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a movie that you want to better than it is. It's mm-hmm. not outright horrible either. I think like we're at risk of like <laughs> overselling how bad it is. Yeah. It's just you can't get enthusiastic about it. In this day and age where we have a new superhero movie coming out every weekend, like we said, mm-hmm. there's just always going to be something more interesting to watch than this version of Swamp Thing. It did come out with a sequel in 1989 that Wes Craven had nothing to do with, and mm. it was much more overtly comic. Mm-hmm. I don't have a very clear memory of it, but uh, it is not well remembered no. either. <laughs> and believe it or not, it had a one-season TV series in 1990 of The Swamp Thing. Um, so people have tried to make this title work, but dust it off. Just... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know that Guillermo del Toro and Steven Spielberg are big fans of the podcast, and they're likely listening to this to get, mm-hmm. you know, mind me for ideas. And they should. <laughs> As well As they well should. They should. <laughs> Do something with Swamp Thing, because although this movie isn't great, it has the potential mm-hmm. for greatness in it. Yeah. Um, so if you're a hardcore comic book fan and you're a hardcore Wes Craven completist, you're not going to hurt yourself by watching mm-hmm. the movie. It's, you know... It, you, you could you could watch a lot worse. Oh, and and if you're just in the in the mood for like a mediocre sci-fi horror romp, then you could do worse. It's weird too. It, it seemed the left or right. If they'd gone a little bit darker, it might have worked better. And if they'd gone a little bit lighter, it would have worked better. But mm-hmm. this sort of blah middle ground yep. that they went on, 
it's like a middle issue of the comic book you know, or something like that <laughs> where there was an adventure that took place but didn't really overly change the characters events and in the overarching story of their lives it was just another day yeah. <laughs> you know? and uh, you know if we're gonna watch a movie it should be about something yeah. like a monster in a swamp <laughs> Eddie Murphy is back, but this time he's looking for a missing child, a golden child. This child is special, Mr. Giraud. His destiny is to save the world. And it's your destiny to seek some serious psychiatric help. Okay, may I ask you boys a couple of questions? By the time he finds you, it will be too late. <coughs> hey, hey, hey. In my pocket, it's a whole thing of Tic Tacs. It's Take as many as you like, please. I could destroy you just like that. Just like that. You're wonderful. Nobody be alarmed. I'm Madam Chandler, General American, stolen artifacts, founders of America. He's irresponsible. A bed. Is that a bed? He's a careless, thoughtless, undisciplined fool. I should be punished. I should be purged. I should be flogged. You are the chosen one. You will find a child. Well, I do my best. <laughs> I'm so afraid of the dark, too. <laughs> I really don't like your attitude. You know, this is a nice jacket. It's a Morris Day feel, and it looks good on you. And the boots, smoking. He's got a firm grip on reality. Where he's going, he'll need it. How'd you do that? What was that with the flip? You must carry this glass of water without spilling a drop. Who are you, Monty Hall now? This is a piece of cake! Eddie Murphy is the chosen one. Well, how many people have survived this test? None. None! The golden child. None! So Michael Ritchie is a film... Well, was a filmmaker. He passed away, unfortunately. But um, he directed this movie. We're going to talk about The Golden mm -hmm. Child. Um, he is responsible for a couple of my personal favorite comedies. Oh. Um, he directed this con man movie called Diggs Town, starring James Woods and Lou Gossett Jr. and Oliver Platt. And it's not a well-remembered movie, but if you get a chance to watch it, anybody, anywhere, if you get a chance to watch it, Digstown. It's super awesome. And uh, Fletch, this movie starring Chevy Chase from the 80s Ooh. as a private detective who is, well, he's actually a journalist, but he functions very much like mm -hmm. a private detective to get to the bottom of the story, uh, who gets hired by a millionaire to kill him. I'm going to give you some money to kill me so that my family will get this big settlement and blah, 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 blah. And a funny mystery ensues. He's a very capable director, and uh, he was making a lot of fairly successful movies in the 80s. I don't know if he was attracted to the screenplay or if he was hired. This is the age of where Eddie Murphy was box office mm -hmm. gold. You could release Eddie Murphy Takes a Shit in 1987, <laughs> and people would be lined up to see it because he was a charming fixture in the 80s, and he really was genuinely funny. Uh, the, the, you know, Beverly Hills Cop movies are, you know, enjoyable for what they are. Interesting time capsules. Yeah. But um, in this sort of phase, Eddie Murphy was headlining all sorts of movies and sort of trying to, you know, he'd already sort of in, broken the superstar barrier mm -hmm. for, like, you know, African-American actors, but he wanted to be in movies where it wasn't about him being African-American. It doesn't matter, really. That, okay. that, that, that wasn't... 
essential that's to not the, plot. the plot. Even even in like Beverly Hills Cop, when he got cast in Beverly Hills Cop, they made him more street when it became Eddie Murphy yeah. instead of Sylvester Stallone or whoever they had originally, right? So he's like, this is a movie that was would have been could have starred anyone. It happens mm-hmm. to star Eddie Murphy. The catch is is that the script for the Golden Child is out of its goddamn mind. This is like cummed in by way of I don't know Constantine. <laughs> like there is a little Dalai Lama psychic super powerful child that is stolen by a demon and his mm-hmm. cohorts. They are trying to feed this child blood so that it can be corrupted so that they can kill it so that they can then use their evil to overtake the purity of the world good times sounds hilarious right yeah yeah eddie murphy is a private investigator who specializes in missing children so we like him right away Mm -hmm. because he dedicates his life to finding lost children and he has a funny laugh right (laughs) (laughs) and charles dance is this demonic uh counterweight and Charles Dance is in a completely different movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, it is a very, very, very strange movie. And I say that as a compliment and as <laughs> a little bit not of a compliment. Yeah. Like, uh, I like how out there it is. I like some of the weird choices. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said similar things with Howard the Duck. Like, yeah. this was a risky movie in a lot of ways. Like, there's not a lot safe about <laughs> some of the choices that are being made. But yeah. I, part of me is just amazed it got greenlit. I'm, in a way, happy that it got greenlit. <laughs> but somebody with a lot of clout or a lot of money just must have forced this into being. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's insane. What did you think of the Golden Child? <laughs> There's a good movie inside this movie somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has such yeah su- such a sort of like bipolar tone, where there is this really serious end of the world movie happening on the one side, and then there's Eddie Murphy fucking around in L.A. and <laughs> on the other side. Um, and they don't quite mesh for me. Um, the the opening was a like just the very opening scene was was a good example where the um, you know there's these like gorgeous shots of the inside of this uh, temple in Thailand and the demon crew making their way up the mountain and it's you know something bad and gonna you happen. know something bad's gonna happen and then this synth pop soundtrack mm-hmm. kicks in. And they're just so at odds with each other. I'm like, it kills what the am I in for? And it kills the stakes. Yeah. Um, and that happens throughout the movie. Yeah. Throughout the movie. And as much as I do, like I did defend Eddie Murphy, I do think he's a charming figure. I think he deserved to be a superstar in the mm-hmm. 80s. I think he was, you know, very talented and remains so. Uh, he seemed to miss the fact that this is actually a supernatural thriller. Uh, and that there can be comedy, there can be lightness to sort of like counterbalance mm-hmm. that. But really, this is apocalyptic thriller and a, the, an innocent child's life is at stake. So the fact that you're constantly, you know, dropping these one-liners, even when there's nobody else in the room, like for our the benefit for, of the audience the of the and audience. nobody else, you're right, it totally makes the stakes die. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Murphy, like, can be funny and, and charming and is in some scenes. And then sometimes it's just so 
so far offside, mm-hmm. and his laugh just makes me think of Donkey from Shrek yeah. all the time, and that is baggage that I cannot put aside, right. which makes it impossible to see him as a romantic figure, because <laughs> <laughs> she's not actually a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> well, and th- that again, I talked about sort of the, the gender roles, that here we have a, his sort of sidekick character. She's super badass. She's super she's, badass. Uh, and she just has to put up with him. Like, he's the chosen one that's supposed to protect this child. Mm-hmm. And you get this feeling like she's vaguely resentful of it yeah. because she would be way better at protecting this child. She cares, understands the stakes. This is not all a joke to her, right? And I like that aspect I of it. I do like that aspect of it, but I don't like wh- how her character is used in the movie, yeah. right? Because she still begrudgingly falls in love with him because it's necessary. It's a necessity of the Be- script. Because the script said she did. That that happens. And when she enters his dream world in that one fantasy sequence, mm-hmm. and she sees in his dream that she's in lingerie tied up with toilet paper, this is charming to her. <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, she's the strongest character in the movie, and in the end... It's, I guess, a reversal on it. It's, it's not your typical you need to save the girl. She has been killed, but if he rescues the golden child mm-hmm. in time, he can bring her back and, to and life. And I had no doubt that he would rescue the golden yeah. child in there time. There was no, life, there was no foreseeable way that this movie was going to end. With, with, yeah, the demon wasn't going to win. And obviously, I mean, in any movie that we, we're not expecting yeah. the golden child to die, but we have to believe that there's enough stakes that, oh no, we can chew yeah. our nails over it a little bit. Absurd moments in the movie, which are great, and yet again, like you said, it's kill the stakes. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where the golden child makes this Pepsi can, sort of anthropomorphize and do a, a song and dance number. And I loved that moment. Yeah. Not in the context of the movie, but just as a bizarre thing to watch. And the ca- Pepsi can is, again, very well animated, yeah. and it made me happy. Yeah. <laughs> But again, it just like that was a cool scene, great special effects. What's it doing in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> What's it doing What's there, do- buddy? I don't know. What is? <laughs> I, I I I I don't dislike. It just seems to be a, a popular thing. Mm-hmm. Charles Dance too. I think that the way he's playing it, and I'm on side. I mm-hmm. think he gives the performance of the movie. Charles he's... Dance is glorious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, he's got all this evil packed inside of him, much like we talked about the Overlord in, mm-hmm. in Howard the Duck. Like, he's not typically a human <laughs> being. And the fact that he has to regularly suffer all of these indignities and insults from this tiny ant of a creature, played by Eddie Murphy, who laughs into his face and, you know, is so disrespectful to this great ancient yep. evil. And he has to just fucking take it. Because <laughs> he doesn't have his power yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the, I love seeing the frustration. Like he doesn't want to show it, but he's showing it, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty subtle acting maneuver yeah. in a movie as gloriously stupid <laughs> as the Golden Child. So, big props to Charles Dance, and spoilers, big props to the special effects people who turned him into a fucking demonic dragon yeah. thing. Because <laughs> when he finally loses his temper and wolfs out, shit gets kind of scary. He's badass. <laughs> And again, if I could believe the stakes, if I could, you know, think that, you know, I'd, in no version of this script would I believe that the golden child was going to die, but mm-hmm. perhaps the chosen one would die, yeah. you know? Like, maybe maybe Eddie Murphy was going to die saving this child. Well, no, Eddie Murphy's not going to die saving this child. <laughs> He's going to, you know, make some 
hilarious pithy comment as he walks out of the rubble. <laughs> it's another weird one. That's why I called this episode Crazy 80s. Because yeah. we're being really negative about the Golden Child, but I don't think I would say, don't watch Golden Child. This is the thing. Like, I wouldn't tell someone, no, 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 no. Don't do it. Don't do it. There is more imagination in this movie than there is in any mm-hmm. five movies you no. see, you know? And it just doesn't quite coalesce into no. a good movie. But the ideas are rich. And, and like, like Swamp Thing, I'm watching it and thinking of, like, ways that this could be. Like, mm-hmm. a really good, like, ways that you could take this story. Like, I was thinking, if, if you cut it so that we, as the audience, didn't know off the bat that the Golden Child was a real thing and the had been kidnapped. Like, if we started with Eddie Murphy and had had to figure out if this chick was crazy who was trying to get us to help her yeah. I think that might be a more interesting film yeah or if we had a journey more for the Eddie Murphy's character because mm-hmm. I think that the screenplay was like he's got to rescue the kid that's the journey whereas I kind of got the feeling like he needed to take himself seriously he needed to be respectful of other people mm-hmm. right? when he's asked to go to Tibet he's like oh, I'm going to fucking Tibet it's cold in Tibet and when he's asked to chant, you know, the thing that he wants, the knife, he's like, I, 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 I want the knife. It seems vaguely disrespectful, yeah. right? You're in a temple, right? And yeah, it may seem silly to you that they chant to each other, but this is how they fucking do business, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he has to do this trial and, and walk across these posts with a presumably bottomless pit beneath him in order to retrieve this knife. And uh, it's a pretty interestingly done sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The way he's joking his way through it, it's like he's not taking it seriously. Yeah. He remain he never takes it seriously. Uh, and it's always bothered me, and I hate to drop this spoiler. He has to cross these posts holding one glass of water, and he's not allowed to spill a, a drop. Yeah. He gets across to the main platform, and there's the dagger that he wants, but it's surrounded by fire. And he's like, well, why did, why did they ask him to bring this glass of water? And it's ever since I was a kid, I was like, well, you have the glass of water. You put out the fire, you take the knife. Yeah. But he drinks the water, and the fire just inexplicably goes out. And again, if that was a moment where he was like, all right, I'm gonna, this is an act of faith, you know? And he mm-hmm. took a breath, and he drank that water, and if he was wrong, he just fucked himself, right? But no, at no he had no doubts that this was all just going to yep. work, right? It was a missed opportunity. And it's not a performance issue. I think it's a script problem. I think yeah. Eddie Murphy is doing what the script asks of him, but mm-hmm. I think the script should have asked more. I, yeah, no, I, I think the script probably has like things like Eddie Murphy improvs. Yeah. And that's not the best way to do an adventure film. Yeah. And, you know, just yeah. other questions. You know, you, yeah. can, you can Star Trek the hell out of this. If the Golden Child is so powerful, did he really need, did he really need a chosen one to rescue him? Basically, the second any of the underlings of the demon touched him, they were on side with him, right? Yeah. So, there's a lot of questions, but I, like I said, I like the director, Michael Ritchie, is responsible for a couple of my favorite comedies, and I wish he was still making movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was definitely uh, him reaching out. This wasn't just a comedy. No. Nope. This was an action movie, and a, you know, supernatural movie, and the elements individually work. Mm-hmm. All together... Maybe not. But I would say watch The Golden Child. I would. I would say, like, have a look at it. Just, it's entertaining. It's yeah. 90 minutes. It's quick. It's a good a good example of what the sort of 80s were producing. Mm-hmm. And uh, just for the imagination in it, you know. Hopefully, you know, some young filmmaker will watch The Golden Child and either be inspired to write something or decide, maybe we need to go around two on Golden yeah. Child. 
Because I would, I would watch it. Yeah. You know, I used to be the guy I'm sick of everything being a remake. <laughs> <laughs> but after spending the last few months watching all of these 80s movies, I'm like, you know what? Leave the classics alone. Yeah. Take a movie Maybe. that had a good idea but a flawed execution mm-hmm. and bring it. Mm-hmm. Get Charles Dance again. Yeah. He's still out there. He's still out there. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. I like to play with things a while before annihilation. Pathetic Earthlings! Who can save you now? Ah! Really? Watch Flash Gordon and just you can turn the picture off and just listen to it if you want. Although you'd be doing yourself a disservice because actually one of the things that I liked most about revisiting Flash Gordon is how pretty it is. I think it's an actually quite gorgeous movie. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> um, it is like dangerously stupid, but it, it's pretty at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, the main character, Sam J. Jones, who's playing football superstar Flash Gordon who gets shot off into space to have some intergalactic yeah. nonsensical adventures. While wearing a t-shirt with his own, with name, his own on name on it. Um, I don't know if it was one of these deliberately uh, tacky casting things. Like like I when I reviewed Starship Troopers I posited that maybe they deliberately cast flat actors to sort of help push the sort of <laughs> Hitler youth vibe that they were going All for. Right. I think that Sam J. Jones is a football player. He's an athlete, mm-hmm. which is to say he's not an actor, <laughs> and he is anchoring this movie. He is our main character. <laughs> Weighing it down like an anchor. He's <laughs> a very handsome, you know, blonde, muscular not man. easy to look at. He looks the part. He looks the part, yeah. and that's fine. But it's always strange to me, especially if it's going to be a production, is... I mean, it's deliberately cheesy, but in its way lavish. They mm-hmm. spent money on Flash This Gordon. is the most grandiose <laughs> thing I've ever seen. The fact that you would put in the middle of this storm, you know, Sam J. Jones or a Casper Van Dien, if we go back to, to, to Starship Troopers, <laughs> is kind of puzzling to me. 
I, in a way, I think you you either wanted like a comedic actor, even if he wasn't all muscly, like mm-hmm. he could just sort of play the vibe of the obnoxious jock, <laughs> right? Because yeah. to me, I think part of the thing about Flash is that he's a bit of a goofball. He gets shit done, and he is heroic and muscular and, and you know, physically able, mm-hmm. but he's just kind of a dude, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's okay. The world needs dudes. Yeah. <laughs> um... I also, going back, I keep on referencing other reviews I did. I did a review of another batshit crazy 80s movie called Strange Brew, The Adventures of Bob and Doug McKenzie. And I remember doing that, doing that review saying, like, how in the fucking world did they get someone as legit as Max von Sydow <laughs> to play their villain? Apparently I had blanked out the fact that he <laughs> had played Emperor Ming <laughs> in Flash Gordon. And that somehow, in no way, in no way dented his credibility with me. I love Max von Sydow. unrecognizable as the Emperor Ming. One of my, one of the early great thrills about watching the new Star Wars movie was that one of the first faces I saw was Max von Sydow. I'm like, well, so far, so fucking good, you guys. Uh, So I'm a big fan of his. And he is laying it on so deliciously thick, like... He knows exactly. Just he knows exactly the type of movie this is. He probably, within a smile and a handshake with Sam Jones, kind of knew that the center of this movie was not going to hold. Yeah. So he was going to have to do everything he could. <laughs> he looks ridiculous. He sounds ridiculous. His dialogue just drips. I love it's it. glorious. <laughs> It's absolutely glorious. And I think I think so many of the people in this movie know what kind of movie they're doing. The winged Hawkman, for instance. Brian Blessed. Oh my god. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Fucking nails it. The, they're having that ridiculous... Um, Flash and the girl and the doctor have been taken to Ming's throne room and they're having a football game over, I don't know, some precious egg kind of thing. And Brian Blessed is just thunking out minions with the blunt end of his axe and it's killing me. (laughs) (laughs) Watch that shit all day. (laughs) Flash Gordon was an old comic book and sort of serialized sort of adventure series. Mm -hmm. That was sort of self-consciously cheesy. I think even at the time, it was n- not highbrow stuff. Yeah. And uh, the movie is deliberately cheesy. It is sort of like, you know, tipping its hat to 1960s sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It knows that it's ridiculous in a way that The Golden Child and that the Howard the Duck and some of the other movies that we've been talking about didn't know that they were ridiculous. Yeah. So, in a way, points for that, like they're embracing it, mm-hmm. but... For me, generally speaking, I prefer my bad movies to be unself-aware. Uh. <laughs> I like a bad movie that is just like like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, that just really didn't know <laughs> how hilariously <laughs> off the charts they'd gone, right? Like something that just, like, everybody on set was concentrating so much. There was a force for the trees thing mm-hmm. that they missed something so glaringly obvious that like it becomes hilarious. Uh, so basically, you'll like Flash if you like the aesthetic of the movie. Mm-hmm. If you like the pretty faces, and you like the pretty colors, and you like the pretty backgrounds, it'll hold your attention for the most part. Yeah. And if you start to lag, then they'll crank up the Queen soundtrack mm-hmm. for you. But I do think it is fair to say that it is a genuinely empty exercise beyond that. It, it is just pure spectacle. Yes. It is. <laughs> it is style as 
entertaining. It is surface layered on surface layered <laughs> on surface. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Like I say, I don't need to something intellectual every time. Sometimes I've had a long, hard day and I want something... I want to put something in the machine that's going to make me think as little as possible. And definitely Flash will do that. Yeah. But, uh, it, it's also not as consciously funny as you'd expect. Like, there aren't funny lines. Mm-hmm. Prefer- it's just how it's executed. Yeah. And it's another one of those things. Like, it was like, I wonder if they'd actually, like, deliberately punched up the humor, if it might have worked more for you. Uh, I did a fringe play years and years ago called uh, Episode 26, which was very much Flash Gordon. Like, he was just making fun of these old serialized things. And uh, upon revisiting Flash Gordon, I realized how much that play had borrowed from that aesthetic with the Hawkman and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, but in the play, they were very much amping it. Uh, in, in the movie, the only person that seems overtly comic to me is Max von Sydow, but he's still playing a supervillain. It's mm-hmm. just so huge that it's hysterical. But in their own way, everybody's playing it straight. Yeah. The winged birdmen, when they, you know, call out to war, are earnestly, <laughs> like, they, they're wearing the most ridiculous outfits this side of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. And they are somehow struggling to retain their dignity. <laughs> and there's these, like, washed out smoky backgrounds that look like, uh, what are they called? Those lava lamps or something to fill out the interdimensional backgrounds. Yeah. There's always something to look at. And there's always a ridiculous costume. But it's interesting to me that it's not, it's not funny in script. It's just funny in execution. Yes. It's a strange choice. I don't even know if it's good or bad. <laughs> I think I th- whether it's good or bad it depends on how you're feeling the day you watch this. Right. Um, for for me, I I am. <laughs> you're on board. I am on board. <laughs> I am on board with this world where everyone is so self serious <laughs> that it's funny. I, I, the thing that's funny to me, and it's the the main three characters, we have Flash, we have this sort of affected, weird, vaguely Jewish-seeming doctor, yeah. and of course his love interest, Flash's love interest, uh, are three cores, and, you know, they're basically forcibly kidnapped <laughs> by this scientist at the yeah. beginning. They fly into space, there's explosions and craziness going around them, and then they get sucked into an alternate universe with this Ming the Merciless. And all three of them take this on the chin so well. So well. Like, like, this is just another fucking day. Like, typically, Flash Gordon's was a football player. Like, doesn't he have to be at practice or something yeah. like this? The fact that he's uh, seeing... But Hawk... he's a football player, and he's also a pilot, and he's also a doctor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's whatever he needs he's to be. He's whatever he needs to be. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm, I, I, this might be infected by me having done that play, episode 26. Mm-hmm. in the play... The, the central character, the Flash Gordon character, was painfully unself-aware. I think in the movie, it's just kind of like an, an actor out of his depth. Yeah. He's basically interested in making sure he gets the line right, yeah. as opposed to putting any kind of infection or any weight to it, right? Uh, I like my Flash Gordon to sort of be like, again, like Eddie Murphy was to Charles Dance in, in Golden Child. Like, <laughs> Ming should be so furious that this, like, lunkhead is... is constantly spoiling him like he's an idiot he's an idiot but for some reason he just manages to be successful (laughs) he's got a shirt with his own name on it why is he beating me (laughs) this is not quickly issue shirts with my name on them (laughs) 
I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Like, maybe if they poured on the comic, comedy more deliberately, it would just turn into Airplane or be, you know, less memorable than mm-hmm. it is. Maybe the fact that they just purely went aesthetic is, you know, what makes it interesting. But I'm... in 1980, there was nothing like Flash Gordon. And in 2016, there is nothing <laughs> like <laughs> Flash Gordon. It gets big points just for, like, being... Uh, you cannot compare it to anything else. That's... That's a compliment, right? No, no, it is. It is unique, <laughs> and that's you know, in in a world maybe where that's overused, but it it really, it is. It's very much its own thing, and I don't know. I I would recommend that anybody should experience it. Yeah, I think that it's one of those things that could be hot or cold. It'll be one of those things that you'll either react well to or mm-hmm. not, but. The good news is, is 20 minutes in, you'll know. Yeah. If you get 20 minutes into Flash Gordon and you're not feeling it, just stop. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, guess short and sweet. Is there anything else you want to say about Flash Gordon? Um, is there anything else? I think... Shout out to Timothy Dalton. Yeah, that's being, right. Um, just, just gorgeous and on point and the only person who fights convincingly in yeah. the whole film yeah he does have a real swashbuckling sort of uh errol flynn vibe yeah. in this in this movie yeah. and uh he, you know he just he just acts everybody just... off the screen like it's such a ludicrous world but he commits to it again mm-hmm. like you hired me to sell this premise no matter what the premise is i'm going to earnestly sell it yeah most people aren't mugging, they're not looking at the camera or winking at us, but everybody seems to know that they're in this absurd, you know, Yeah, they, tableau. They, they do, and, they uh, know, and he, they're just rocking it. Yeah, it's sort of like a, it's a weird comparison, but when actors do a Wes Anderson movie, like the Royal Tannenbaums mm-hmm. or something like that, and they wear very specifically strangely aesthetic clothes, and they, they have a taxi company that doesn't exist... And they have all of these weird aspects to the world that the actors are not uh, to pay any attention mm-hmm. to. They just accept that that's part of the Wes Craven world. It's the details. Yeah. And I guess that's what this movie is. You don't pay attention to the stars. You pay attention to the sets. And that's odd. <laughs> <laughs> This summer, Walt Disney Pictures presents a motion picture fantasy adventure beyond your fondest imagination. You'll be transported miraculously back to the enchanted land of Oz, that magical kingdom beloved by young and old for generations. It's just a yellow brick. No, Belina, you don't understand. This was the yellow brick road. You'll share with Dorothy Gale the shock of finding everything mysteriously changed. What's happened to everybody? And you'll delight with her discovery of four wonderful new friends who band together against a wicked queen and the dreaded Gnome King. This is the Oz you haven't seen before. And this is the Oz you'll want to visit again and again. From Walt Disney Pictures comes a whole new world of entertainment. Why don't we just fly back to Kansas? Return to Oz.
We've been spending a lot of time in my childhood, and thank you for bearing with me through all of this. I loved the original. I still love the original Wizard of Oz. I love it. Uh, but it's one of the first times I remember being conscious of like a technical film decision, which mm -hmm. I thought was genius. I'm really like six years old, and I always remember when Dorothy made it to Oz, and she steps out from her house, and it goes from black and white to color. Mm -hmm. And the land of Oz was in color, and Kansas was in black and white. I remember just even as a kid thinking, genius, <laughs> genius. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Jeez. I get that decision you made and how it was good for the story and the movie. Yeah. Uh, in the mid-80s, Gary Kurtz, who was uh, pr producing, you know, things like Star Wars, yeah. had his, you know, hands really big in the original trilogy of Star mm -hmm. Wars. Arguably as big a creative component as Lucas himself to the original Tridge. So we like Gary Kurtz. But he no longer seemed to like working with George <laughs> Lucas, or he was sort of stretching out on his own. Yeah. And uh, they, D Disney was in rough shape in the 80s. They really were. Their animated features were tanking. Mm. They were taking risks that weren't paying off, things mm. like The Black Cauldron and stuff like that. Underrated. It's a good movie, but it wasn't. They weren't lining up for it. Yeah. They were dark days for Disney. And unfortunately, this Return to Oz movie was is part of these dark days. They put some real production value into this. They did. And there was sort of two camps when it came out. The camp that said, you were stupid to make a sequel to Wizard of Oz. We're not going to watch it. And the camp that said, this movie is way too fucking scary for kids. <laughs> what are you guys thinking? <laughs> And speaking as a child who was nine years old when yeah. he saw this in the theater, Return to Oz is straight up terrifying. And it's like, gets, it starts scary, it gets mm -hmm. scarier, and with mm -hmm. each subsequent scene, gets more and more terrifying. And uh, watching it today as 40, I still felt that way, yeah. only I was really irritated by the hen, the, the, her, her talking so hen. For some reason, when I was a kid, I didn't clock it at all. I just accepted it. Yeah. But all of the conversations she had with her hand when I'm watching it now, I'm just like, oh my god, this is irritating. But the thing is, like, Dorothy has come back to Kansas, and she's told of her tales in Oz, mm -hmm. and <laughs> not ununderstandably, that nobody believes her. Yeah. So they take her to see a shrink, and she insists that Oz is real. They con she continues to insist that Oz is real. So they send her to a specialist, who hooks her up to a machine and starts fucking giving her electroshocks in the middle of a lightning storm yeah. <laughs> to sort of burn her memory of Oz out of her poor little girl. The American healthcare system in action, ladies and gentlemen. So she flees from the hospital, or does she? Again, it's classic <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Is she just disassociating from the torment and is all oh. this adventure happening somewhere else? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but she finds her way back to Oz. And not only is Oz not as she left it, Oz is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And not only is Oz destroyed, Oz is destroyed because she lost the ruby slippers. The kingdom has been destroyed, her friends have been killed, mm -hmm. and it's all her fault. <laughs> we are now 20 minutes into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, 
I am not familiar with the source material. Mm -hmm. I've read the the original Wizard of Oz novel, but I haven't read any of the subsequent ones. I don't know how close they are to the source material. I won't speak to that. Mm -hmm. So, but I will say that yeah, I think that this is awfully heavy to expect little kids to handle. And I think when you look at the original Wizard of Oz, which also was not well received when it was originally released, by the way, oh. it kind of had a slow build okay. uh, over a period of time, like a lot of these classic movies do. When it was released, they thought it was kind of vulgar and opulent that they spent so much money on something so silly. <laughs> but time has proved it to be one of the all-time classics. Yeah. I'm not saying that time is going to come back around and say that Return to Oz is an all-time classic. It's not. <laughs> it's I will not. say time is not going to do that. <laughs> But it is interesting, and I don't hate it. I genuinely don't hate it. Like, again, I've said it again and again when we talk about these 80s movies, the imagination in this movie and the execution of the effects and mm -hmm. the world of this movie, mm -hmm. I love. I think if they were to make this movie today with special effects, it would be worse. It, it would. It would be significantly worse. I look at Sam Raimi's Oz movie, and I love Sam Raimi. And I will maybe make the case that this is a better movie than Sam Raimi's Oz, uh, Great and Powerful. Familiar. He did Oz, The Great and Powerful uh, with James Franco a yeah. few years ago. Yeah. It's not terrible, but it's a cartoon. Yeah. It's a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Right? There's something about the reality of this world. Um, and I think it has had influence. Not everybody saw this movie, but I think the people who did see this movie, it, 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 it touched something yeah. deep in them. I've always thought that uh, the pumpkin character, Jack. Jack. Yeah, his name is Jack. I was going to say, yeah, Jack the Pumpkinhead. Mm -hmm. The design looks so similar to Jack Skellington from A Nightmare Before mm -hmm. Christmas. Like, just shrink his head and turn it white. Yeah. And he's yeah. basically Jack Skeleton. Uh, that, like, I can't help but think that that was an influence in the, in, in the design for another fantasy movie that I really mm -hmm. love. I love the idea of this gump creature that they create. They uh, are trapped in an attic, so they strap a bunch of stuff to a couch, and they put a moose head on it, and they put some magic pixie dust, and poof, it's alive. And more horrifying than that, it's self-aware. <laughs> it realizes that it's been created very quickly and in haste as a method to escape, mm -hmm. and, and has this weird philosophical debate with them about it. And it, it's still good-natured. It doesn't seem to hold any resentment to the creators, even though it can feel that it's falling apart yeah. and that it knows that its purpose was basically just to rescue them. This is a deep well to throw on any little kids, yeah. right? <laughs> the Gnome King, which is the major villain of the piece, uh, is uh, largely accomplished with uh, stop-motion mm -hmm. effects. And which, gorgeous. again, look really good. And there are a few scenes where they actually have an actor with an affected costume mm -hmm. to portray him. Uh, but to try and match sort of the, what we'd seen from the special effects in the past. Yeah. And for the most part, well established. And again, the reason the Gnome King has become so powerful is because she dropped her ruby slippers and he got a hold of him mm -hmm. and has been using that power to destroy the world. I've gone on and on and on about yeah. it. how terrifying I found the movie, and yet how richly imagined I found the movie. Mm -hmm. Where do you land? Um, it, this is yet yet another thing in this pile where there are like severe tone clashes. Um, the 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 thing that bothered me the most, maybe, which is 
a strange thing to be the thing that bothered me the most about this movie was that uh, it, perceiving that it's supposed to be a direct sequel to The Wizard of Oz, the 1930s Julianne, um, Julie Garland, Julie Garland one, um, was that the aesthetic didn't follow through. Didn't match. It didn't match. The Emerald City doesn't look like the same Emerald City. The Scarecrow isn't the same Scarecrow. The Tin Man isn't remotely the same Tin Tin Man. The the Scarecrow in this movie was actually what I thought was the freakiest, weirdest thing in the whole freaky weird film. We only see him a very little bit. We only see him a very little bit, but he's so... There's something so unnatural about his face. There's like this Raggedy Ann face that is just not right. Just just not with these painted on eyes. I'm like, you're you made a mountain talk. You couldn't give your scarecrow some like less soul searing speakers. It's not that they changed the aesthetic from the original. It's how much they changed the aesthetic from the original. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, even a musical. Hey, in the, the original is a musical. Mm-hmm. They will sing about how if I only had a brain and uh, follow the yellow yeah. brick road and uh, all of these charming music, song, and dance numbers. This movie is uh, fucking none of that. <laughs> we will have none of it. None this is a thing. dark, bitter pill. I remember, again, still traumatized in the theater. Uh, these, these uh, what do they call them, wheelers? The wheelers. Come to chase her. And uh, I decided that I needed to go use the bathroom. Yeah. And I left the theater, went to the bathroom, and I sort of peeked from the theater door to make sure that the wheelers had passed before <laughs> I went back into the theater. And I haven't even met the fucking sorceress who switches her head every night. Yeah. We haven't seen the Hall of Heads. She, that was cool. That was really... <laughs> insane dark. Insane dark. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know... I don't know. I, I it actually makes me want to read the Franco Blom books more because, uh, like, did did the original film soft shoe the Blom material, I mean, or probably. did <laughs> but... this movie sort of darken it? Uh, are the subsequent Oz books as fucked up as this implies? Yeah. Because if so, by the way, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can't speak to the material either. I I kind of remember there was probably it was probably a Japanese animated. Uh, Wizard of Oz cartoon when I was a kid and it was much more on this end of the spectrum and it had like Jack the Talking pumpkin pumpkin dude so that was neat because he was then a kind of a warmly familiar character to me in the midst of this I guess it's true of the Scarecrow, although in the original movie I never found the Scarecrow scary. Mm-hmm. But objectively, you know, the scare- talking Scarecrow was a terrifying idea. And I guess similarly the pumpkin, and he would be used in a similar place. Yeah. He used to scare the birds away from the crops. But I like the idea of an objectively terrifying creature, looking creature, who is super friendly. Mm-hmm. A Ludo to those Labyrinth yeah. fans out there. <laughs> uh, I-, I like something that looks fierce, but is this little puppy dog, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, Theresa Balk is Dorothy in this movie. She had some big shoes to fill, and she's very, of course, young at the time. Yeah. Right? She's 12 or 13 years old, playing even younger. Uh, I'm always up and down on Theresa Balk, but I'm, I'm never going to judge harshly a child performance. Mm-hmm. I think she's the center of the movie, and she does the job. The thing that's always recognizable about Theresa Balk is her eyes. <laughs> just, like, they <laughs> just shoot out. Like, yeah. they, there's something really crazy like they burned like blue coals <laughs> in her head um and uh as an actress i think if you cast her well she's great mm-hmm. but it's just kind of interesting that hey there's there's a baby feruza bulk in the center of this completely batshit insane yeah. oz movie and it really is crazy 
I mean, of all the movies in this list, and I do like this movie maybe more than I should, <laughs> uh, I think that this is the one that I have the most personal affinity to, mm. but the one that I totally get why people are not fans <laughs> of. But, yeah, I, I, they, I, I'd sort of forgotten that it existed for a long while, and I sort of got my hands to it, a copy on DVD, and watched it again. And that I, I rewatched it yet again for this podcast, mm-hmm. but when I first revisited it, having not seen it, for like probably over 20 years I it to its credit echoed that sort of same little kid enthralling thing when I realized holy shit this is dark holy (laughs) shit this is scary and holy shit am I enthralled by it with the exception of that talking chicken and I can't underserve this the talking chicken is irritating (laughs) Uh, I think that the movie is on a script level, dark, but interesting. Not what you were going to expect. I think the special effects are amazing. <laughs> and I think that the structure of the story, the A, B, and C of the plot, is not really comparable to anything that I've ever seen. There's no familiar moments in this movie where I'm like, yeah, I've mm-hmm. seen this sequence before, you know? Uh, it's full of newness. So for that, I respect <laughs> sure. it. But if I'm going to say this is a movie that was made for the kids... I would say that they were really misjudging, you know, the level of frights they can get away with and have it still be for kids. Because, yeah, in 1985, they weren't ready for an Oz movie just for Mm grown-ups, so you obviously have to make it for the kids. For the kids. But... But this one isn't. It's not. It's not. I wouldn't show this to my kids. Yeah. It's another one of these movies that's a little bit too stupid entirely for adults Mm -hmm. and a little bit too scary for kids. But for me, I, I would I would rate it personally higher than, than Howard the Duck. Uh, but again, I have this sort of personal experience of it from yeah. childhood. Yeah. Um, and that's why I wanted you to do well. I was so excited that you are going to do this episode because I feel like I see these movies differently because I watched them from, from the filter of being a kid mm-hmm. where everything is just real. Everything is just <laughs> real. That happened. That's how you make a movie. If you want to make a movie about Oz, you get uh-huh. your camera and you go to Oz and you shoot the scarecrow <laughs> and you shoot like, you know, like you just, you, having no knowledge about yeah. behind the scenes, have never worked on a film, obviously, at that age, I just, I could be swept up in the magic of it. And maybe that's what I love about these movies mm-hmm. as much as anything else, is that it reminds me of uh, when I was, you know, able to Dude. just completely invest. Oh. And I did with this movie. Yeah. podcast with me actually I really appreciate it I uh you're always welcome you're always welcome I understand you're a busy person 
and I don't want to be this guy who's constantly pester, pester, pester you to the podcast, but no. I love having you uh, in the show, and it's a good excuse to just see Ashley every yeah. now and then, because we don't have this theater where we can hang out I anymore, know. and it's sad. It is. Not enough Ashley in my life. It's not fair. This is this is true of almost everyone's <laughs> Most life. people have to deal with it. There, yeah. there you go. It's a, it's a fact of existence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that you did these six crazy 80s movies with me, and I would love to hear what was your yeah. least favorite of these six movies and why. So, all the way down at number six, I put The Golden Child. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it's just... It's so... It's so a mashup of two very different things. I feel I feel like I feel like there's a good movie inside of it, but they just didn't choose that direction. And you know, for for the strong wrong choices, I have to put it I have to put it down at the bottom. Right. Um, okay. There there are things to love in it, but not as a whole. Right. Um, at number five, I put Return to Oz. Oh wow. Okay. Um, different list so far. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I had a feeling our lists might be different this time. Um, lots of budget behind this thing, lots of interesting ideas. Again, not not carried out in a sad, really satisfying way. There were just some some like overly creepy things and some overly kitty things, and again, just a just Together. a clash of styles. It's kind of a crazy I, 80s movie. It's kind of kind of a crazy kind of kind of crazy. Uh, at number four, right, you know, dab in the middle where it belongs and not with the infamy that surrounds it, Howard the Duck. Wow. Um, starting to move toward like more, more like bizarrely felt more consistent than Return <laughs> to Oz or the thing. Um, all of all of my problems with Howard the Duck are at a script level, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but everything on top of it is so well done that it's it's not as bad. It's just not as bad as I had hoped it would be. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay, I get you. Uh, at number three, Swamp Thing. Just sort of your blandish, run-of-the-mill monster movie. Um, characters aren't particularly memorable. The effects are well done, but not a screaming big deal. Number two, the extremely entertaining, highly hilarious Transylvania <laughs> 6 5000. I would watch this over and over. <laughs> I would watch this over and over because it reminds me of when we used to do goofy dinner theater yeah. and it's one of those had things. a good time. It's not good. It's just funny. It's just funny. <laughs> right? Just... And it knows it's funny, but it doesn't t spend the, its time telling you that it knows it's funny. It just continues on being It's too funny. busy getting to the next funny scene. Yeah. yeah. And all the way up at number one, the camp extravaganza <laughs> that is Flash Gordon. <laughs> very good, very good. I gotta say, Ashley, we have incredibly different lists. I mean, <laughs> uh, we almost went zero for six. <sighs> almost went zero <sighs> for six. We just, we, we like Transylvania 6 5000 too much. <laughs> 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 that's our common ground. Um, but that's okay. I mean, 
I don't, I'm not so passionate about this as to say, how dare you put Golden <laughs> Child in sixth place? Love the movie, Ashley. No. You know, if you don't love Golden Child, you don't love me. But, uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's pretty different. Uh, in sixth place for me, I put actually Swamp Thing. Uh, I just, for potential of the character based towards the execution of it, and of all of them, it just seemed the least flavorful. Like, right. there's, it, there was a blandness to it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't outrightly suck. None of these movies outright suck. It, it just, it's the least interesting of them, unfortunately. Because yeah. I think it's one of the most interesting premises. Hmm. And that's another, it's, it's just not the movie I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So I might be bringing my own, my own shit to it. All the way in fifth place is where <laughs> I put that lovable Howard the Duck. <laughs> I, uh, there, there is stuff in the movie as brilliant as the special effects are and as brilliant as Jeffrey Jones are that just honestly make me uncomfortable yeah. the, the, the sexual relationship between <laughs> Leah Thompson and Howard the Duck really makes me kind of uncomfortable yeah. I just like it's weird and, and it should <laughs> but not necessarily in a good like cringy way it's not like Seinfeld uncomfortable I just I don't want the scene to be happening <laughs> at all <laughs> You know, there's something distasteful about, you know, seeing duck titty. When he smashes through the wall of his uh, apartment building and gets sucked out, he just passes through a bathroom of another female duck who's in the shower, and we see duck titty. And I didn't want that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, now I'm, I have duck titty in my brain. Well, now I do too. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> because of that, I, I wag my finger a little bit at Howard the Duck. But again, I would say, watch Howard the Duck, because there's no movie like it. In fourth place is where I put the golden child. And I, I just think it's so weird. The premise of the movie is really odd. It really does have this kundun meets something fucking weirder. <laughs> you know? Devil Dalai Lama thing. Like, uh, it, it's got a bunch of cool ideas. You know, Eddie Murphy's a charming presence. The special effects are very strong. Mm -hmm. Charles Dance. Kills yes. it! <laughs> so, um, there's enough good in it that I it, it fought its way to fourth place. Right. But there's enough bad in it that it fought its way to fourth place. <laughs> so, uh, controversially, this is going to hurt your feelings a little bit, but in third position I put, Flash, ah, Savior of the Universe. Get that soundtrack, people. <laughs> you gotta love the Queen. <laughs> I wanted them to do the soundtrack to my movie, but unfortunately they're unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Flash Gordon. It is style as substance, but there is something pretty damn amusing about it. It's pretty mood specific, and mm -hmm. like I said in the review, it's a, it's there's a of all the movies here, this is the one that has the potential for a toxic reaction. Mm -hmm. If you don't mesh with Flash Gordon, then it's gonna be a real long hundred minutes. <laughs> but if you go with the flow, you'll 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 it's enjoy it. It's a real yourself. short hundred minutes. Yeah, indeed. In number two, the first and only place where we agree <laughs> on the list so Transylvania six five thousand. Again, it's not good. It's funny. Yeah. It's just funny. And that's all it wants to be. Uh, there, there's things where it's like vaguely clever. I remember when they were trying to get information at a, a, a place uh, full of mental a mental institution. Mm -hmm. Wants to talk to an inmate. So Jeff Goldblum <laughs> tells Ed Begley Jr. to climb up the wall. Yeah. And he tells the security, guy trying to get out, guy trying to get out. So the security guard throws him in. And they reverse that same scam on the way out. He starts climbing the wall. <laughs> trying to get in, man trying to get in. And they kick him out. It's very simple, very obvious, funny slapstick humor. I mean, 
I, I at the risk we risk of overselling it, both putting it at number two mm-hmm. <laughs> because like it's dumb. It's dumb it is. but it's fun. So if you're in the mood for something dumb and fun, it's Transylvania six five thousand. Yes. Yeah. I was scarred and like my imagination was sparked by mm-hmm. Return to Oz. And uh, I think of all of this, this is probably the one that's the most personal to me, just because of that. I had a deep love for Wizard of Oz, so in a way, Return to Oz had the potential to be like my first great cinematic disappointment. It wasn't, but mm. it, it scared me. It scared me pretty badly. Yeah. And it made an impression. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not for kids. Maybe I shouldn't have watched it at that <laughs> age, but part of me is glad that it exists. And in a way, like talking about crazy 80s movies, this movie is. Crazy. <laughs> like, someone's chasing down copies of Return to Oz with big butterfly nets. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, it, it's wonderfully mad. Um, and maybe specifically just for Larry, but I'm out here to say, check out Return to Oz. I'll apologize in advance for the talking chicken. She's irritating. But the special effects and the imagination, I think, deserve a watch. Mm-hmm. And that's where okay. I that's where I wash up on these crazy eighties. Fair, it's fair. It's all fair. <laughs> thank you so much, Ashley. Well, thank I you really for appreciate me. it. Anytime. I love anytime. being. I love being here. Well, uh, no, I take forever, but I love. That's being That's okay. Here. You take your time. I just I don't want to be a source of stress in your life. No. I want these to be positive interactions. <laughs> uh, any, we'll give you the final word on crazy eighties. Are there any like Jerry Awards you want to give out or anything uh, like that? They're all winners. Like they're all. They are. <laughs> I mean, they're all losers, and they're all winners at the same. Like, there, there's nothing. On, there's nothing on this list that I would tell someone not to watch. Like, I, I would also say that there are plenty more movies that I could put on this list. Yeah. By no we, by no means have I, you know, emptied the trough of no, crazy eighties. Beginning movies. to scrape the top. <laughs> It really was a bizarre decade for film, and everybody always goes off about how the 70s and, like, that's where, you know, people were making really edgy, cool, avant-garde cinema in the mainstream, and they were. And the 80s didn't do that. The 80s were the age of excess and bizarreness, but Mm -hmm. they're also equally fascinating for their excess and for how strange they are. And these movies like this don't get made these days, so, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there who are just discovering these movies or this podcast... That thrills me. <laughs> that thrills me. Please write me and tell me so at rankandreview at gmail.com because, uh, uh, yeah, if I, if I can be a, the gateway drug to having people discover some of these classic 80s movies and practical effects, yeah. uh, I will feel my time was not ill-spent. And, and as someone who has used your podcast as a gateway drug to so, yeah. different things, I, I highly recommend doing so. Well. I hope you enjoy uh, the next two episodes, and uh, thank you, Ashley. There's so much love in the garage right now. So I hope everybody enjoyed the 75th episode of Rankin Review. I know that I did, and I hope you're going to join us for this upcoming two-part 80s epic. 
25 genre 80s movies between Larry Parsons and Lee Beckman that'll be coming right up. Um, as usual, you can send me your feedback at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And as usual, I just wanted to send my love out there to everyone listening. Thank you so much, you guys. I would love to hear feedback. I would love to hear suggestions. Throw me a like on Facebook. Throw me a positive review on iTunes. Those are really good for my morale. And uh, keep listening. Keep listening. Thanks, you guys.